Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. From KQED Public Radio in San Francisco, this is Forum. I'm Marisa Lagos. The last time a California governor faced a recall, there were more than 100 candidates on the ballot. This time around, the gubernatorial recall election is also shaping up to be a circus. And not just because of the bear that candidate John Cox brought to a news conference. We'll talk about the candidates lining up to replace Governor Gavin Newsom in the recall election later this year. That's next on Forum, right after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Marisa Lagos. Nearly half of California voters say they'd vote against recalling Governor Gavin Newsom. That's according to a UC Berkeley Institute for Governmental Studies poll released yesterday, which also reported 36% of voters supporting the recall. Nine potential challengers have already announced their intention to run in the gubernatorial election, which qualified for the ballot last month, including former San Diego Mayor Kevin Faulkner, former Congressman Doug Osi, reality TV celebrity Caitlyn Jenner, and businessman John Cox. With the date for the recall yet to be set, we're going to discuss the platforms and backgrounds of the candidates who are planning to join this race and maybe who might else jump in. Joining us now are Guy Marzarati, reporter and producer for KQED's Politics and Government Desk. Good morning, Guy. Good morning. Scott Lewis, editor-in-chief of The Voice of San Diego. Hey, Scott. Hey, good morning. And Seema Mehta, political reporter at the Los Angeles Times. Good morning, Seema. Morning. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for coming. So I'm very excited about this panel. You all have a lot of experience with both the individual candidates and broader political stuff. Um, Guy, I thought I'd start with you. Can you kind of just lay out the state of the race right now? Where are we in terms of these candidates and kind of who's lining up to uh, challenge Newsom? Well, really broadly, the recall does not enjoy support at this point. And really, none of these Republican candidates that you mentioned have broken through and have any kind of crossover appeal yet beyond the Republican Party. Um, as evidenced by that IGS poll, Kevin Faulkner, uh, the former mayor of San Diego, 
probably, uh, you know, the candidate everyone expected most to get into this race, if not run uh, against Newsom in 2022. And John Cox, who lost to Newsom in 2018, are both at 22 percent of voters inclined to support in this poll. Former Congressman Doug Osi at 14 percent. And then Caitlyn Jenner uh, at six, just six percent of voters inclined to support. I think that was probably the thing that perhaps stood out most about this, you know, first poll of these Republican candidates is that really uh, discouraging results for Caitlyn Jenner. Yeah. And Seema, I mean, the LA Times partners with IGS on these polls. I know that the California GOP put out some different numbers. I mean, what do you think kind of broadly do you feel like um, the the polling generally is showing kind of what, what Guy just talked about? Right. I mean, I think it's very early, but I, the polling does that's exactly a very good summary of the polling, which um, shows that California voters are not supportive of the recall at the moment. That said, the recall is not going to happen for several months. Um, right now, the best guess is sometime in November, possibly late October. And that's a lot of time. And there's a lot can happen between now and then, um, you know, especially you know, we don't know what's going to happen with the pandemic. We don't know if there's going to be another shutdown. We don't know if there's going to be a variant that uh, that makes its way here that is worse. So um, while I think Team Newsom is probably happy with what they're seeing, um, that there is a lot of time and they I feel like they can't sort of rest on their laurels because uh, there's so much that can happen. So it's, it's still, it's very early. Yeah, no, totally. I mean, not to date us, Seema, but you and I were around for the last recall election in 2003. I Thank mean, you for pointing out that we're old, but yes. yes, I know, I know. I was such a baby then, I swear. But <laughs> what, I mean, what parallels and differences do you see between then and now? Sure. Well, I mean, it's, there's, there's a lot of differences, quite frankly. I mean, if you look at, first of all, look at Gray Davis's, um, popularity at the time versus Gavin Newsom's popularity right now. Um, Gray Davis was barely reelected. Newsom was elected with a basically a historic number of votes. Um, and California is also very different than it was in 2003 in terms of its demographics, in terms of its population. It's gotten more liberal. If you look at the voter registration, that's very clear. Um, and, you know, if you look a couple of years after 2003 and 2006, you know, California's elected two Republicans statewide. That hasn't happened since then. Um, so the state is a different place. Gavin Newsom is not Gray Davis. And uh, I mean, but again, like it's, I think it, you know, it depends on what happens. Like if you look at Gray Davis, you know, with the the brownouts, the blackouts, I mean, voters got very frustrated, and we did see voter frustration. That is one similarity um, right now because you know, with the pandemic, with the states handling of the pandemic, with Newsom's handling of the, of the pandemic, first with um, the closures, the business closures, and the school closures, initially with the vaccine rollout. So there is voter frustration. Um, his, his administration, and he's clearly trying to tamp that down. And you know, we see that with him going around the state on various you know, tours saying, you know, here's what I'm doing, rolling out you know, various policies, showing up at, you know, with practically every Democratic elected official in the state. <laughs> um, so yeah, so I mean, there, there are similarities, but there are quite a few differences. And the biggest difference, quite frankly, is we do not have an Arnold Schwarzenegger in this race. Yeah, yeah, right. There's time. There's time. No. <laughs> we are talking about the candidates vying to replace Governor Gavin Newsom in California's gubernatorial recall later this year. That was Seema Mehta, political reporter at the LA Times. I also heard from Guy Marzarati, reporter and producer for KQED. And we are here also with Scott Lewis, editor-in-chief of Voice of San Diego. Scott, so let's dig in on these individual candidates. And I, it struck me as... Um, Stima was talking, you know, in some ways, this recall is really the result of bad luck for Newsom, right? I mean, there was there was the timing, there was the pandemic there. I mean, just broadly, and then there was the timing of asking the judge to extend the signature collecting deadlines. I don't know if it was bad luck that he chose to go to French Laundry, but you have covered Kevin Faulkner for a while, Scott, and I know that he's benefited from some political luck as well. Tell us just a little yeah. bit about him and and his political rise. 
Well, it's it's kind of wild. Like he's been basically preparing for this moment his whole career. He ran uh, in college, wanted to be uh, the student body president, and the person who won, who took that role, ended up falling out because of scandal. He took that role. He ran for city council, two thousand two. The person who won uh, ended up falling out of uh, out of because of a scandal, falling out of that seat. And he took that seat and he was in the, at the city council. And, and um, you know, he obviously had aspirations to be mayor of San Diego, uh, a Democrat after 20 years, first Democrat gets elected mayor. He falls out, Bob Filner for scandal and, and Kevin Faulkner's chosen by the Republicans uh, to run. So, you know, he's kind of clearly thinking, you know, this is a, this is a similar type of situation. I'm the safe kind of guy, the, 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 the guy that uh, you can turn to in moments like this for stability, and he's ready to take that role. The question is whether Gavin Newsom will give it to him. Yeah, like like basically it sounds like you're saying he's waiting for Gavin Newsom to make another big stumble so he can jump on that. Yeah, and for a while it looked pretty good, right? right. Like there was the French Laundry, the school closure, a bunch of other things that were really piling up. Uh, I think, you know, the only thing I can picture now is is whether that June 15th date comes and the COVID comes back even stronger somehow and and uh, and makes it worse. But otherwise, it, it doesn't look as good. Yeah, I mean, Guy, I'm curious what you think, because Faulkner, as as got laid out, has always, um, well, we can talk about it more, but has, has really positioned himself as a more moderate Republican as mayor of San Diego. Um, he didn't vote for Trump in 2016, but then said he did in 2020. I mean, just this morning, we saw Wyoming Representative Liz Cheney ousted from her leadership position in the GOP uh, House leadership because of her split with Trump. How do you think Faulkner is trying to kind of frame his political positioning when it comes to the former president and the kind of benefits and, and, and pitfalls of that in a state like California? Right. I think he's trying to do it very delicately because, look, I think we've seen from Faulkner, you know, for years, kind of the inevitable candidate to run against Newsom. If you remember before the pandemic, uh, you know, Faulkner was talking about launching a statewide ballot measure aimed at addressing homelessness. At that time, this was the biggest issue for California voters. Newsom responded a couple months later by dedicating his entire state of the state just talking about homelessness. So that's actually we can talk more about that issue, but it's interesting because it's kind of a comfort zone for both Newsom uh, and Faulkner. On the Trump issue, it's difficult because, look, if you go back to the 2018 uh, gubernatorial primary, the single biggest event was John Cox getting an endorsement from then President Donald Trump. And I would uh, posit that that probably will be the most significant thing for this field of candidates who gets that endorsement uh, from the former president, because you see just still how much sway he has over the party. And I think in large part, when you see these kind of poor poll numbers from Caitlyn Jenner, she might have been the candidate some people thought Trump would get behind. I think seeing her kind of stumble this rollout probably opens the door for another candidate, whether that's uh, former DNI head Rick Gunnell, somebody else who might think, OK, there's still a lane in this race for Trump to support. Yeah. I mean, Scott Lewis, what how would you frame Faulkner's um, legacy as mayor? I know homelessness was a huge issue for him. You guys have extensively reported on some kind of real estate debacles the city's been in. Um, what, what, what do you think is kind of the main thing that San Diegans remember from his time as mayor? Well, there's a few different things. I think, yeah, he wanted to put out the idea of like, I'm the guy you don't have to think about. I'll manage things uh, competently. 
he really tried various branding efforts. He wanted to be the Yimby mayor, the, the guy who would say yes to building ho- uh, homes in, in all parts of San Diego. He And then, yeah, homelessness was the big thing he was resting his campaign on uh, until uh, the schools issue. And, and I think what what he would say with that is, is, you know, I'm the only one in the state who is who has lowered homelessness, who has made it less of a problem in these big cities. Now, there are a few things to think about. First of all, up until 2017, he never really took it seriously, never wanted to, to address it intensely. And then 2017 happened in San Diego, and there was just a, a massive outbreak of hepatitis A, you know, a, a, a disease that is spread in filth and fecal matter on the streets. It was just a horrible situation. People were dying, right. and he was forced to really mobilize. And he kind of did two things. He, he set up these giant tents that he wanted people to go to, and then he, he upped the sort of criminalization, the, the cleanups, the abatements, as they're called to kind of force people into that. And so he wants to, he thinks that's the kind of Faulkner doctrine that he can take to the state, you know, a little bit harsher uh, activity on the streets, but more support for these temporary housing solutions. And so I think that's what he would like to be seen as. The the homelessness rate went down a little bit, but, you know, you can go around the streets. It's not at all good. Uh, He also, you know, the Chargers left Mm -hmm. San Diego. There were a few things that followed. and, And so he has this image as this like competent guy. You don't have to think about running things, but there were some issues with that competence during the, uh, during that time. And so I think people have an, um, you know, fine view of him. And in, in some respects, obviously people who didn't like him really don't like him. Uh, and, and that continues. So. Yeah. Well, and I mean, this is the issue, like homelessness is such a challenge. This is something our current governor has tried for many years to get his arms around first as mayor. We are talking about the candidates vying to replace Governor Gavin Newsom in California's gubernatorial recall election later this year with Scott Lewis, editor-in-chief of Voice of San Diego, Seema Mehta, political reporter at the LA Times, and Guy Marzarati, reporter for KQED's California Politics and Government Desk. What do you think of the candidates competing in the recall election. What questions do you have about their records or why they're running? Give us a call now at 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. You can also get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum or email your questions to forum at kqed.org. We'll be back in just a minute and we're going to dig into Caitlyn Jenner and John Cox and some of these other candidates. Stay with us. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Marisa Lagos. We are talking about the impending recall against Governor Gavin Newsom and the candidates lying up, lining up to replace him with Guy Marzarati of KQED, Scott Lewis of Voice of San Diego, and Seema Mehta, political reporter at the LA Times. Um, 
You know, Seema, Scott kind of alluded to the schools issue, and, and I do think that this was a real weak point, especially for Newsom a few months ago. It could stand to be in the future. Um, I want to play a cut of Faulkner talking about schools with our own Scott Schaefer uh, earlier this year. The fact that in virtually every state, every state across this country, schools are reopening, but California isn't, that's a lack of leadership. So. Seema, do you feel like any of the candidates have come out with a plan, though, to reopen or say what they would have done differently when it comes to schools than than the current governor? I mean, I feel like they've issued broad statements, but I don't know that we've seen a ton of detailed policy. I think we're starting to see a little bit more policy from Kevin Buckner, um, but you know, he's having a press conference shortly um, in Downey where I think he's going to roll out some policy. But in terms of schools, no. I mean, I think we've just seen broad statements that other states did it better. We should be open and, and, you know, it makes sense that these candidates are trying to, you know, you not, I don't want to say use, but um, to capitalize, <laughs> capitalize. Yes. Thank you. Um, you know, parents were frustrated. You know, you, I mean, I saw it with, I saw it with my friends. I saw it in the community. You know, parents were very frustrated and just trying to juggle, you know, working from home, having their kids at home, trying to get, make sure that the zoom is working or whatever. Um, so it makes sense that these candidates are trying to capitalize on that. The big question I think is what happens with schools in the fall? I mean, that's oh, seven months away, but you know, say September, if the schools aren't reopened, then that is a problem for the governor, because if that frustration carries through, I mean, that, that that's a problem, but if schools are reopened and life does seem like it's back to normal, then I think that works in his favor. Yeah. Scott Lewis, I mean, you, you guys, you had been covering Faulkner, who left office, you know, at the end of the year. But it's not as if San Diego schools opened any earlier or there was something dramatic he did when he was still in the mayorship, right? Oh, no. Uh, in fact, this was a big deal for me for months. Uh, he had released a push to reopen businesses. And I remember and the economy. And I remember saying, what about schools? You got to get schools open. Nothing, nothing functions in the economy without schools. Obviously, I was a very personal issue for me as well. And he literally laughed at me uh, as uh, for being so obsessed with it over months. And I think, um, you know, when I finally pushed him and he finally started to get active in the issue, he actually joined with the teachers union. The only major action he did was to join with the teachers union to demand that Newsom provide an incredible uh, number of, of daily tests, like 10,000 tests per week that he wanted to see delivered to allow them to even set the bar. That was almost like a, an unachievable bar that he was trying to set for them to to be able to go back and and you know sign that was basically the only action he did in schools no they didn't open he didn't show any leadership throughout the state on the issue he didn't show any uh novel solutions when you ask him what he would do differently with all the the uh, collective bargaining rights and all the issues involved he just says i would show leadership and and just keep saying that like as though you can just kind of like you know, will this thing to change? And and I think that was a particularly frustrating thing because then when he decided to run for governor, it became the main thing he wanted to talk about. And and uh, again, there was there was no novel solution other than just uh, you know that that vague leadership. Yeah. I mean, Governor's already you've been covering this school issue. It is a tough one, right? Like, I mean, I don't know if I were advising one of these candidates what I would tell them to say, right? Because right. even as Republicans, they probably don't want to completely alienate the teachers union. Um, I mean, how can we let's let's like focus on uh, John Cox a little bit. He's a businessman from San Diego as well. How's he been talking about this issue? Well, I mean, it's the same for all the Republicans when it comes to this issue of schools. Here's the problem. They all pray at the altar of local control. And when you look at what are the issues involved with preventing a lot of school districts from getting kids back in class, it is issues at the local level. So none of these candidates want to go ahead and say, you know, to Scott's point, override uh, collective bargaining, 
put more state control on mandating, putting local mandates. I mean, I talked to Republicans in the state legislature, many of whom are fine continuing with a distance learning option in the fall, letting districts make the decision. And that's exactly what you're seeing in places like San Francisco, where the breakdown happens as far as not being able to reopen classrooms. So it's a really, really uh, tricky issue on the policy side. Um, and I don't think you've seen really concrete answers from Republicans that are all that different than what Newsom has said. I mean, Faulkner has talked about tying dollars to the amount of time uh, students spend in the classroom. That is what Newsom's incentive plan that he signed uh, in, in March or April does. And I think at the end of the day, Seema hit it on the head. It's really going to be about next year, right? There's, I think, uh, only a certain level of anger voters can carry over from this school year. And that's why it's going to be so interesting to see how the state budget process plays out, right? Will Newsom sign a budget that provides a distance learning option for the fall? Or does he say, no, it's over on June 30th? And he kind of alluded this week that he does not want to allow that to carry over, right? I mean, that's right. We heard probably the strongest statement he's made to that effect <laughs> saying, you know, he doesn't want this allowance to continue uh, next year. But there are folks that, you know, top Democrats in the legislature who disagree. I mean, it's so interesting, too, because usually you see these splits around partisan lines. But actually, in this case, you have Newsom and Phil Ting, the San Francisco assemblyman, head of budget, kind of lining up on the same side as Kevin Faulkner and John Fox in a way. Right. <laughs> I think to a large extent, that's because, you know, Ting takes the experience of San Francisco. <laughs> you know, he's seen, OK, you leave things to the local level. Here's what happens in my city. I think Republicans, you know, there, there are other parts of the state that have moved more quickly to open schools. They probably have more confidence that left to their own devices, their local districts will get kids back in classrooms. And so I think that's where you see the breakdown. We are talking about the candidates lining up to challenge Governor Gavin Newsom in this recall election later this year. Um, we have some comments from listeners, including one who writes, this is a ridiculous waste of time, money and energy. Dirk asks, is it too late to stop the recall? It will cost taxpayers up to 40 million. I think that's actually 400 million. Uh, Dirk says that's infuriating, especially given the lack of support for the recall and polling. Can we change the threshold and rules for launching a recall? Uh, David writes, "There's a this is a perfect example of partisan opportunism. Newsom's far from perfect, but there's nothing that should justify a recall. I hope it goes down in flames and shames the GOP in California. So uh, some Newsom supporters. I want to bring in Elizabeth from Oakland. Elizabeth, you're on Forum. Uh, hi. Thank you for taking my call. Yeah. My question is about the, the California Constitution. Um, I have a couple of questions. When did California last have a constitutional convention to change their constitution? What does the constitution say about recalling a governor? And what requirements are there for, um, for, for potential gubernatorial candidates to, you know, to sign up to run? My memory from the Arnold Schwarzenegger race is that it's pretty low. Yeah. Um, I'll take my yeah. answer. Thanks, Elizabeth. Um, Seema, I know you just did a big explainer on all of this. What uh, what can you offer, Elizabeth, in terms of uh, the first uh, question? I do not know the information about, but I'm going to do some research on that, and I will come <laughs> back. Uh, but you, but uh, the caller, she's right. I mean, the requirements are low. If you compare, if you look at compa uh, California compared to other states, uh, the number of signatures required to um, have a recall qualify for the ballot are pretty low, and then the 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 uh, credentials for the candidates to run are also very low. I mean, it's about if you want to run for governor, it's about four thousand dollars or seven thousand signatures, which is not that much. I mean, if you look at some of these, you know, Instagram like influencers, I mean, they can get the signatures, you know, in thirty seconds. So um, I suspect we're going to see a lot more candidates running. 
Yeah. Um, and those of us who did cover 2003, I feel like I'm like still have a little bit of PTSD from that mad dash. <laughs> um, we are talking about who is trying to replace Governor Gavin Newsom in California's gubernatorial recall this later this year. And, um, Guy, uh, I'll bring Seaman on this too, but we haven't discussed one of the kind of more well-known names here, which is Caitlyn Jenner, um, former Olympian and, of course, uh, part of or was part of the Keeping Up with the Kardashians family. Um, you know, she's come out. Uh, she's transgender. She's Republican. She has no political experience. But um, we have seen some uh, interviews this past couple of weeks. Um, what are you – can you just kind of lay out, like, what, why is Caitlyn Jenner running? What is she She's saying, what's the case she's making? Well, I think she comes into this race with name ID uh, and celebrity. And I think in a, in a recall election that you would think matters a lot. And that's why when I mentioned disappointing poll numbers, I mean, you only saw 13 percent of Republicans support her candidacy at this point. You compare that when Arnold Schwarzenegger got in the race in August of 2003, right away he took the lead uh, in the next PPIC and the you know artist formerly known as the field poll. You didn't see, you know, I think with a with a candidate with that kind of name ID, you would expect maybe they start strong. And then when, you know, the media and people start learning more about their background, their support diminishes, you're not seeing that with Jenner. It's kind of a low starting bar. And since then, as you mentioned, there have been these interviews where her grasp on policy is tenuous. Um, you know, Politico's done a lot of reporting on her voting history and, mm. you know, lack thereof. Um, and so I think it's, you know, it's definitely been a rocky rollout for her. Um, although I think to your question of what she's pitching her candidacy on, it's really as an outsider. You can almost see some similarities in the way she talks about issues to former President Trump. Um, I think that's probably the pitch that she's making at this point. Yeah. And we have a, a one of the clips of her talking to Sean Hannity on Fox News recently. Let's play that. My friends are leaving California. Actually, weren't my hangar. The guy across right over from me, he was packing up his hangar. I said, where are you going? And he says, I'm moving to uh, Sedona, Arizona. I can't take it anymore. I can't walk down the streets and see the homeless. I don't want to leave. Okay. Either I stay and fight or I get out of here. So Seema made a lot there to unpack. Um, She's speaking from her airport, uh, you know, plane hangar, she's saying. Um, Can you talk about the reaction to that? interview and there was another on CNN. I mean, what do you think the Republican base and, and sort of party is is how, how they're viewing her candidacy? I, if we're looking at the polling, not very well. Uh, but again, it's early days. Um, I think that hanger quote, um, it it got a lot some traction on social media because it painted her as out of touch. Um, and then we also had a quote from CNN the other night where she basically said she didn't golf. I'm sorry, she didn't vote in the 2020 election and she went to golf instead uh, because there was basically she didn't really care to vote in that. And aside from the fact that it was a presidential election, there was a lot of important things um, in, for California on the ballot. You know, several ballot measures involving you know cash bail and uh, uh, commercial property taxes and just I mean there were several a things. Lot. On the yeah, ballot. So, <laughs> yeah. I think, was, I think there was 12 ballot measures, but I could don't quote me on that. But um, so I mean I think that that uh, to some people suggested a, a lack of interest in issues that, you know, are important to Californians and that matter in this state. And that's, you know, that's always the question with when you have a, a candidate who hasn't run for office before, you know, what is their knowledge of of the policy? What is their knowledge, knowledge of politics? Like, what makes you qualified to be governor? And I think that's a question that she's certainly going to face you know, going forward, especially when she if she gets out on the campaign trail, if she faces, you know, if she does press conferences with reporters. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, obviously, the other sort of huge 
aspect of this is that Caitlyn Jenner is transgender and she's running in a party, you know, as, as a Republican, when we're seeing anti-trans laws really proliferate across the nation, um, particularly around banning trans girls from um, girls sports. Can you talk a little bit about what the trans community response has been and kind of the challenge there for Caitlyn, given that, you know, the Republican Party has, has really made this one of their kind of culture war issues? Right. And, and it's been interesting. I mean, she was asked about you know, one of the big bills or that's uh, unfolding in several states across the nation is the uh, question of whether you allow students who were uh, who identified or who were identified as, as male when they were born who have transitioned to be trans women, whether you let them plan girls uh, high school and college uh, sports teams. And she was asked about that by TMZ the other day. And, and she said that she didn't think they should be allowed to play that, that, you know, they had an unfair advantage. So she sided with Republican lawmakers um, in several states who are pushing these bills. Um, the science is very, you know, uh, divided on this. And there isn't really, uh, the scientists do not by any means agree that that is true, um, that they, they have an unfair advantage. But then it came out that she played um, at an LPGA event. And uh, when, my co- when my colleague Maria Laganga asked her about this, uh, the campaign basically cut off the call with her. So I think, um, you know, she's going to face questions about that. And especially, as you said, with all of these bills taking place across the country, like this is like a huge cultural issue um, for the Republican Party right now. And it's, 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 that's, you know, trans activists and the trans community have also, um, many people have, have spoken out against her saying that they don't believe that she's been an advocate for their community. Um, I mean, there are times when, you know, when she has certainly like in 2016, uh, during the presidential race, when the bathroom wars were going on, um, President Trump's or then candidate Trump said something like, you know, she can use the bathroom at one of my properties anytime she wants. So she was in Manhattan and she stopped by one of the, one of his properties and, you know, her, one of her staffers took a video of her, you know, use, well, coming out of the ladies room and she, you know, thank Donald Trump and made fun of Ted Cruz and basically said no one got molested in here, Ted. So at times she has spoken out about it. But I mean, I do feel like if you talk to the trans community, uh, to advocates, that they do not believe that she's been as much of an advocate as she could have been. Yeah, I mean, and it's an interesting time, to your point, at watching some of that CNN interview. She did seem really unprepared to talk about some of the more substantive policy issues. And I don't want to tip my hand too much here, but I have watched a lot of Keeping Up with the Kardashians <laughs> over the years. And um, it's it's just like fascinating. I mean, on this season, we saw um, her call up Kris Jenner, her ex, and say, hey, I want to be more relevant. I want to do more things. And I think there's some people questioning Guy, like whether this is just an attempt, like, does she really want to win? Or is this kind of just a, I don't know, publicity stunt the way we have seen some folks in like Hollywood do this type of thing before? Right. I mean, and here's where you'd say that any comparison with Schwarzenegger ends, right? Because he spent time leading up to that 2003 election, really engaging in state policy uh, with, you know, after school programs and such. You heard Jenner in the uh, CNN interview asked about homelessness. And she says, well, you know, mental health is tough. I mean, I think I could get 120 votes in the legislature for that resolution. <laughs> but there, beyond that, it was, you know, some allusions to reforming CEQA. Um, and we haven't really seen like a campaign platform uh, or anything really detailed beyond that. Um, it is early, but I don't think, you know, this is uh, this is not, probably not the start she envisioned. Yeah. Um, I want to bring in caller Meg in San Mateo. Meg has a question for us. Go ahead. Hi, I'm just calling back about um, the school issue. I'm a mom of four. And just I just have a question of what, what was it possible for our governor to mandate school openings the way that Oregon did? Just wondering cause if that I, I would re- I voted for him. I'm a Democrat, but I would recall just based on that if 
if that was possible for him to mandate, you know, in-person schools months ago, and he chose not to. That's a good question. Uh, Guy, do you want to take that one? Sure. So it really goes back to last summer when Newsom and the legislature authorized distance learning in the state budget. Once they did that, all they were left to do for the rest of this, this school year is try to incentivize districts to open. So you saw them send, you know, tons of money down to uh, local school districts trying to convince them to open. But at that point, they had already made the decision to allow distance learning for the year. Now, the question, Meg, is are they going to do that again for next school year? Um, If they go back to the default, there really are just very few opportunities uh, for students to have distance learning. You can do independent study, um, but that is very limited. And the, and the debate going on right now is, should there be a more broad allowance uh, for distance learning in the fall into the 21-22 school year? And if so, what are the restrictions on, on districts from, you know, relying too much on, on distance learning? Yeah. Um, well, we're talking about the recall election against Gavin Newsom and the folks lining up there. I'm going to bring in caller Mickey from Palo Alto. Mickey, you're on forum. Hello. Hi. So I, I have also declared as a candidate for governor of California. I'm a former mayor of Menlo Park, and I've written a, a satirical book called Politics, Police, and Other Earthling Antics. And I want my campaign to focus on the really major issues facing California, not just what's um, in our faces today. And I can list some of those issues if you'd like. Uh, quickly, we've got about uh, just a couple of seconds left before our break. Okay, so perennial drought needs to be addressed. Forest fires need to be addressed. Power outages. The educational system and its pathetic uh, experience in California and the union dominance in All our right. state. All right, Mickey oh. from Palo Alto, running for governor. Thanks for calling in. We are talking about all the candidates vying to replace Governor Gavin Newsom later this year, uh, including Kevin Faulkner, former San Diego mayor, Caitlyn Jenner, and John Cox, who we'll get to after the break. Uh, with me is Guy Marzarati of KQED, Scott Lewis of Voice of San Diego, and Seema Mehta of the LA Times. What do you think of the candidates competing in the recall? What questions do you have? Give us a call now at 866-733-6786. You can also get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum. Email your questions to forum at kqed.org. We'll be back in just a minute and continue the conversation. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Marisa Lagos, and we are talking about the candidates vying to replace Governor Gavin Newsom. Um, want to talk about John Cox now, San Diego businessman. He uh, talked to Alex Michelson in an interview earlier this month, and here's how he laid out what he's trying to make the case to voters. We have got to get the voters to pay attention that their quality of life depends 
upon who they elect and who they vote for. And that's uh, that's the essential message of the whole campaign and the recall for that matter. Scott Lewis, you're from San Diego, as am I, actually. I grew up there. But, I mean, do people in San Diego know John Cox well? He's a businessman. He's run for office in California and Illinois multiple times. Um, what do you think the, the kind of sense is in his uh, adopted hometown? <laughs> yeah, nobody knows him here. I, I, it's not – I mean, there's – he showed up a little bit in the recall effort for um, um, Bob Filner when he was mayor. He put some money into that. He's he's not well known at all, and he's he's not particularly active in local politics. I think San Diego Republicans for a long time kind of punched above their weight in the in the region uh, as their as the demo, uh, demographics kind of went against them. They um, they still performed well, you know, Kevin Faulkner as mayor and stuff like that. And I think that brand kind of carries over Carl DeMille, Kevin Faulkner, maybe even John Cox benefit from this idea that, well, maybe San Diego Republicans figured something out that the rest of the state didn't. But that hasn't really translated, um, you know, and and I, I spent some time preparing, trying to you know, really understand some of his positions on these on these issues. And they're they're just not outlined. He's he's basically. I'm not a pretty boy. I'm ready to go shake things up. I'm going to go fight. I'm, you know, I'm going to try to lower taxes and and build homes. You know, everybody wants to build homes. The question is, what do you do with people who don't want them nearby? Uh, There's a lot of very difficult issues that uh, he's unwilling to really unravel. Yeah, and uh, Guy already. I mean, you've you've gone to a couple of uh, John Cox's events. Um, well, we mentioned earlier that he has brought a bear to several of them, a thousand pound Kodiak bear, I believe. Um, and then we'll talk about it. You had a tweet that went kind of viral over the weekend after those first events. Right. So the event that I went to, uh, fortunately, did not have the bear, uh, you know, within the proximity um, Cox, this was the day after he launched this bear tour and com- kind of complained that the coverage was too focused on the bear and there was other issues he wanted to talk about. Um, hard to ignore a thousand pound bear uh, walking behind a candidate as he speaks. Um, and also, wasn't that sort of the point of the bear? Right. I think it absolutely. And I actually, I would say the bear thing worked in the sense that like people were talking about John Cox probably more than they had in the past. I mean, this is a guy who really is he's a perennial candidate is the word you would use in in politics and it's not a a necessarily a compliment he's run for pretty much everything from you know dog catcher to u.s senate over the last 20 years the difference is he's really rich and he's been able to pay his way in a lot of these campaigns i think in his 2018 campaign for governor for example that made a huge difference. It was a year in which the Republican Party really needed to focus on defending a lot of House seats in California. Here was a candidate who could kind of pay his own way um, through the general election. And it's why you saw, you know, Kevin McCarthy and then ultimately the president uh, get behind him. I mean, Seema Mehta, you covered 2018, as did I. Um do you think Cox's message, I mean, he, you know, he lost pretty um, significantly to Newsom in that. Uh, has his message changed? Um, do you think he, you know, what did, what did he learn from that campaign? Well, um, I mean, the bear is new. But <laughs> 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 um, also, I wanted to point out, he also ran for president of the United States. So he literally has run for like pretty much every office in the land. Um, no, I mean, I think we're seeing the same message really from him, um, which is a fairly traditional Republican message. Uh, but it's you're exactly right. I mean, in 2018, he, he lost by a historic margin um, after putting in you know, millions of his own dollars. He's put millions of his own dollars into his current effort. And I, I don't know what exactly is different. I mean, the one thing that is different is that the bar for a recall is lower than the bar for a general election, um, which is a point that uh, that Democrats are, have been making to argue that 
this recalls uh, is a Republican power grab, which obviously the recall backers dispute. Um, but you know, in a regular election, he'd have to get you know more than fifty percent of the vote. In a recall election, if that first question passes, if voters do vote to oust um, Governor Newsom, then the second person, the second question, who replaces him, it's just whoever gets the most votes. It could be somebody who gets 25, 30% of the vote. Yeah. I mean, Seema, like the message that with this bear tour that John Cox is trying to make is he's calling, you know, Newsom a pretty boy. He's calling himself the beast. He's, you know, talking about Newsom's privilege. That's been a big kind of rallying cry around the recall. But in both Cox and Jenner, you have millionaires who in Cox's case have funded his campaign and Jenner's case are, you know, I think some of the, the statements she's made so far could be portrayed as a little out of touch. I mean, does that make the opposite? Positions case more broadly difficult? Um, I think, I mean, they're trying to capitalize on some of the things that Governor News uh, has done over the years, no- notably that dinner at French Laundry that became famous. I feel like I was, you know, after that came out, the fact that he was telling Californians to stay home at the same time he was dining at this very exclusive yeah. restaurant with you know, his lobbyist best friend and some other people, I would be in the grocery store and I'd hear random people talking about it. I mean, that was something that, that really struck a nerve. And that's clearly what. You know, these candidates are trying to do is basically paint him as elitist, paint him as out of touch. Um, you know, they also you know, note that his kids were in private school. They were able to go back to in-person learning while so many school children in California couldn't. Um, and this is something I think that sort of dogged Newsom over the years, in, in part because of decisions he made. Um, do you remember the, uh, was it Harper's Bazaar photo spread with him? And his <laughs> do <former> I wife? ever? <laughs> yeah, yeah, so, you know, so him and his former wife, Kimberly Guilfoyle, you know, at the Getty Mansion. And I think it was called the New Kennedys or the New Camelot or something. So in, in a way, Governor Newsom has at times courted this image, which at the moment is not serving him well because people are using it to paint him as elitist and out of touch with everyday Californians who are really suffering, you know, whose, whose businesses have closed, who have had to deal with their kids out of school. And, you know, so the candidates who are running against him, it makes sense that they're trying to make that contrast. Yeah. I'm going to read a couple of comments from our listeners. Willie tweets, it's interesting how Governor Newsom's new plan to hand out stimulus cash exactly coincides with the recall effort gaining momentum. Willie, we talked about that for an hour yesterday, if you want to take a look. Um, Michael writes, all California Republicans should have learned from Schwarzenegger that you do not challenge any union in the Golden State. Taking on the teachers for failing to show up is just not possible. The backlash would be lethal. Um Sean wants to know what's the point of a recall if we have to wait a year for it. If there's an urgency, this should happen right away. If people just want to get rid of the guy from the other party, then wait for the election. This timeline seems very silly. Um, I mean, cameras already, there's been a lot of um, speculation that if Newsom survives this, it could actually leave him in a stronger position going into 2022, right? Right. I mean, I, I think the case there would be this is a, a, sim- a field of candidates that we could have expected in 2022. So if you're you know, Kevin Faulkner or John Cox, maybe you've kind of uh, said what you've had to say in this recall election. It might be hard to run it back, uh, you know, in 2022. Um, And I would say, you know, that's something I'm sure that Newsom's team is keeping in mind if they can survive this recall, probably puts them in even a stronger position uh, for the next year. Devin writes, I'm wondering why it's a good strategy for Republican candidates to voice allegiance with former President Trump in the race for governor. Based on voting in the last two presidential elections, the majority of Californians don't support Trump. It seems like to get a Democrat and independent support, they would want to distance themselves from Trump. Scott Lewis, I mean, what do you think about that? You know, San Diego is kind of the the only major city that's had a Republican governor in California recently, uh, or at least coastal city, I should say. Um, how do you see the kind of Trump question playing out there and and when you talk to voters and such? 
You know, it was so funny to watch for years. Uh, Kevin Faulkner did a uh, just spent exactly a, a, a lot of energy trying to make sure that he didn't fall on either side of this issue. You know, he went and visited the president. The president said, oh, the San Diego mayor was here talking about how great my wall is. And then you asked uh, Kevin Faulkner about it. And he's like, well, I didn't say anything of the sort. I and so, you know, it was that sort of thing. He'd say, I want to build bridges, not walls, that kind of thing. And it was it was really uh, exacting until right at, before January 6th, actually, just a couple weeks before, Kevin Faulkner decides that he he really needs to secure that Republican base that he you know, it may not be a majority or even close, but to get through any kind of primary or scramble with other Republicans, he needs to have that advantage. So he says, yeah, I voted for him. I like him on the economy. And then immediately uh, January 6th happens and it becomes a, a real uh, branding failure. So I think that, you know, it's just a really difficult time for Republicans in San Diego and other places because they're they know that it's not popular, that this this brand is not popular overall. But among Republicans, it is a very strong group and and very unified. And and he knows that and and keeps that in mind as he makes these decisions. Yeah, we are talking about the candidates lining up to replace Governor Gavin Newsom in California's gubernatorial recall later this year with Guy Marzarati, KQED, Scott Lewis of Voice of San Diego, and Seema Mehta of the LA Times. Um, I want to touch on one of the other candidates we haven't gotten to yet, which is rep former Representative Doug Osi. He served in Congress from 99 to 2005. Uh, he was He's a Sacramento area businessman. Um, uh, Guy or Seema, any thoughts on OC and his chances? I feel like we really haven't heard a lot from him since he uh, said he was running. And that sort of reminds me of the 2018 gubernatorial race where he said he was running and then uh, couldn't really get any financial support and then decided not to run. But again, he's another candidate who's also very wealthy. So if he decided to put some of his own money into uh, this race, it could, you know, it could be interesting. Guy, what, any thoughts on him or the other? I mean, I know we have uh, some repeats from 2003, including former adult film star Mary Carey and Angeline, the um, famous L.A. personality, I'll just say. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I think there will probably be some more famous L.A. personalities <laughs> getting in between, uh, you know, now and October. Um, as for O.C., yeah, I mean, I think, he, you know, he was served in, in Congress for a few years. He retired, uh, put a self-imposed term limit on himself and retired made a couple comeback attempts. I think the most notable one was in 2014 um, when he challenged Democratic Congressman Ami Vera. It was his old district, but by that time it had been redrawn. So mm -hmm. the kind of more conservative exurbs of Amador and Calaveras counties were not uh, not in the district anymore. Um, but he still you know, gave it a really good run in a GOP-friendly midterm and I think lost by a, a point or maybe less than a point. All right. Uh, I'll just name a couple other folks so they don't feel like we're leaving them out. Sam Gallucci, senior pastor at Embrace Church in Oxnard. Uh, Jenny Ray LaRue, a businesswoman in Reading. And Grover Coltharp, excuse me, Grover, Grover Coltharp, a police officer turned insurance broker. Um, so <laughs> definitely already a cast of characters lining up. Um, we are just, uh, you know, five minutes, 10 minutes left in the show. Let us know what you think of the candidates competing in this recall. Do you have any questions about their records? Do you see any parallels with the last recall in 2003? You can call us at 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. You can also get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum or email your questions to forum at kqed.org. We have with us for this hour, Guy Marzarati, reporter at 
at KQED, Scott Lewis, editor-in-chief of Voice of San Diego, and Seema Mehta, political reporter of the LA Times. This is a fundraising period for KQED Public Radio. For more information on how to support KQED, go to kqed.org. I'm Marisa Lagos. Um, so I want to bring in caller Stephen in Napa. Napa, of course, is home to French Laundry, as it turns out. <laughs> Stephen, go ahead. Hi, good morning. Um, I think this attempt by the GOP is utterly fraudulent, just like it was back when they recalled Gray Davis. Their candidates are laughable. Um, I have my problems with Newsom and the Democratic Party in this state, as any reasonable person would. But what this state GOP is, is doing is akin to what the national GOP has done for the past five or six years. They're laughable. Newsom will never be recalled. He will not be defeated. So, All right, Stephen, thank you for calling in. Um, Seema Mehta, like, what do you think when, when you hear that? Um, I mean, we've talked about the, you know, it's, there's a long, hot summer ahead and, and, and a lot could go wrong. But it does seem like Newsom is coming into this in a relatively strong position. Right. And I think that's right. And I think he's in a stronger position now than he was a couple of months ago. Um, and, you know, quite frankly, if if the pandemic hadn't happened. I mean, I, there have been many recall attempts against governors forever. I mean, this always happens and they usually go nowhere. Um, but with the pandemic, it created this very unique situation where voters were incredibly frustrated. And then, you know, the recalls backers you know, were able to to use that to capitalize on that to to get enough signatures. But um, it's if you look at all of the polling, it he he looks like he's going to beat this if the election was held today. And also he's going to have an enormous financial advantage. Um, you know, some of these candidates, while they're wealthy, the question is how much of their own money do they put into it and how much of their own money can they raise? And, you know, Republican statewide candidates have not been able to raise a ton of money in recent years uh, because of donors, you know, recognizing that, you know, these seats have not been competitive in quite some time. While Newsom, I mean, he's going to, with his, you know, while the, the candidates have, have some limits on the, on the amount they can raise, his, uh, the, the anti-recall committee, as well as the pro-recall committee, they can take unlimited funds. So every, you know, every business, every special interest that has any business before the state is likely you know, to donate to that because of the likelihood of him, you know, being successful on beating this thing. Yeah. Scott Lewis, um, I know in, in a few minutes, Faulkner is going to be unveiling some of his policy platforms. Um, I mean, do you have a sense of what Kevin Faulkner, John Fox might be trying to kind of um, do beyond, you know, the, the schools and, and homeless issue? Are there other kind of policy issues you think we're going to really see the, these challengers dig into? I think the main one that Faulkner would try to focus on is housing. You know, he tried to make a big deal, like I said, of, of um, making sure that people could build housing and build more of it and easier. Uh, John Cox talks about that as well. Now, again, it, I think a lot of them avoid the main issue, which is that a lot of people, especially on the coast, do not want housing or more housing nearby. And, and how do you overcome that? They have they have significant political power. I think that and, and then taxes. Um, and I think that they're kind of, you know, they all hovered around this energy issue and the drought issue as well. Will will energy and drought become a bigger issue? Will there be brownouts? Will there be uh, fights about water between the Central Valley and the coast? Will they be able to capitalize on that? And will any of them penetrate beyond this this uh, normal sort of burn of, of discontent in California? And so, you know, again, the summer could be crazy and, and Faulkner is ready to pounce. Again, this guy is is very well practiced 
in in waiting in the wings for somebody to burn out and 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 Gavin Newsom, although he's stabilized a lot, uh, certainly has the potential of burning out in some way. Do you have any sense of his relationship with with the governor Scott? I mean, I know um, yeah, they've worked together. Yeah, you know that. Frankly, they've worked together a lot. They did a lot of joint press conferences. Uh, uh, Kevin Faulkner went there and asked for a lot of uh, homeless money a lot. And you know, Gavin Newsom came has come down to San Diego more than any statewide elected uh, politician I've seen in so long. He comes here all the time. He was clearly aware of any kind of vulnerability or just or you know. Uh, worry about San Diego and Stabilite. He comes here to announce things all the time, was just here about the homeless issue. You know, there's so many, he clearly wanted to make sure that this part of the, of the state was aware uh, of his interest. He works really closely with the new County Board of Supervisors. And uh, this, this break, this, deci- this decision to run for, for governor was kind of the first time he really did take on the governor and decide that he wanted to um, to start to, to fire at him instead of um, try to get money from him. Yeah. Lori tweets, I won't vote for anyone for statewide office if they lack local government experience. Being accountable to constituents, understanding unfunded mandates, and having worked in a committee structure is important for learning compromise. Guy, um, I mean, I might agree with that since I've covered so much local government, <laughs> but do you think most people care about that? I mean, but it does get to this issue of, of dealing with issues like housing that Scott mentions where so much happens at the local level. And I think that's going to be a question for Faulkner and all these Republican candidates is They'll say, you know, Newsom should have done more to get more housing built in the state. Okay, well, would you like to override local uh, zoning rules? Oh, well, Newsom should have done more on the issue of homelessness. Okay, do you want to make it easier to build shelters when neighbors might disagree? I think those are all kind of local government questions they'll have to deal with. Yeah, the substance. All right. We have been talking about all the candidates vying to replace Governor Gavin Newsom in California's upcoming gubernatorial election. Thanks to Guy Marzarotti, reporter and producer at KQED's California Politics and Government Desk. Thanks, Guy. Thank you. Scott Lewis, editor-in-chief, my hometown voice of San Diego. Scott, we really appreciate all your insights. Oh, it was an honor. Thanks. And Seema Mehta, my old friend, political reporter at the LA Times. Seema, hopefully we will see each other in person at a convention soon. I hope so. (laughs) You've been listening to Forum. I'm Marisa Lagos. Stay tuned for another hour ahead with Mina Kim. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio and the Germanicos Foundation and the Generosity Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. 
all over the country. We need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.